see more innovation in packaging and processing at Pack Expo International than anywhere else in the world. It's the show that defines where the industry is headed, with the solutions that define where your business can go. Discover cutting-edge packaging technology, processing equipment, new materials, sustainable solutions, supply chain resources, and much, much more. You'll walk away with innovative solutions to challenges big and small. Register at PackExpoInternational.com. You're listening to Unpacked with PMMI, where we share the latest packaging and processing industry insights, research, and innovations to help you advance your business. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Unpacked with PMMI. I'm your host, Sean Riley. Today's special edition comes from Pack Expo East and features a candid conversation between OEM Magazine Editor-in-Chief Stephanie Neal and the two keynote speakers from the Packaging and Processing Women's Leadership Network's Financial Empowerment and Fixing the Broken Rung Breakfast. Take it away, Steph. All right, well, thank you, Sean, and hello, everyone. I am Stephanie Neal, editor of OEM Magazine, and I'm here at Pack Expo East in Philadelphia where we just had the Packaging and Processing Women's Leadership Network breakfast. This is always a popular event as it brings together women and men to discuss ways in which we can attract more women to the field of manufacturing and packaging, as well as to advance their careers. Our two keynote speakers at today's event address that last point, as the theme here today was financial empowerment and the power of parity on gender equality. With me here in the studio is Quaylen Ellengrude, a senior partner at McKinsey & Company, who leads gender equality work at McKinsey and has driven the Women in the Workplace report conducted in partnership with leanin.org. And Kelly Coyne, VP of Global Women's Strategies at PAX Elevate is here, and she is also a product specialist at the PAX Elevate Global Women's Leadership Fund. Both Quaylin and Kelly have done extensive research on women in the workforce. At PAX specifically, the focus is on investment strategies and investing in companies that support gender equality. Yeah, Kelly, I was really surprised at the statistic you mentioned this morning about a survey that showed that 95% of companies have no female CEOs, and here we are in 2020. So what do you think that, why do you think that women are still not represented in the C-suite? I know, that's a depressing one, Stephanie. Um, That was from a study done looking at 22,000 companies globally, and there are many reasons as to why um, women aren't moving through the the ranks up the the corporate ladder into that um, specific C-suite position, and I think that um, there can be often a a pipeline issue that some people um, and and some companies kind of refer to as they can't find necessarily qualified women. Perhaps women aren't raising their hand for that position. Um, we know that there's plenty of qualified women um, to fill C-suite positions, but what is the company doing, um, you know, to either attract women into that position and find the top talent, or maybe from looking within the organization you know, what kind of uh, development pipeline might they have built throughout to have a pool of candidates, um, both men and women, that would be highly qualified to take that position. So, um, Quaylin, actually, you mentioned some of the research as to maybe why some women aren't raising their hand 
for some of those senior level executive positions and what kind of culture might lead to it not looking attractive, mm-hmm. you know, for some some people of color, some women, um, and even some men as well. Yeah. I think there's two things as you described, Kelly. One is there's only one in five people who report to a CEO, so members of a C-suite who are women to begin with. So it's a very narrow pipeline. And then within that pipeline, when you ask women and men, do you want to be a top executive? Oftentimes the answer is no, because the trade-offs, the 24 by seven culture, the intensity of it is frankly not attractive. And so both, how do we widen the pipeline? So it's more than one in five women at that C-suite level. Uh, and make that role a more attractive role where you can bring your full self to work. It's one in five women in the C-suite. Interestingly, when you look at women of color, it's actually one in 25 women who report to the CEO who are women of color. So that would be Black, Latina, and Asian women all added together. So that pipeline is literally little droplets of water. And why do you think that is? You know, Yeah, the, the drop-off between the 21% of the C-suite that are women and then the 3% of the C-suite that are women of color is really challenging because the entire pipeline is skewed, right? And women start off at almost half of the entry-level roles. Women of color are about 18% at that entry level, but it drops dramatically by five to 10 percentage points at every promotion level. And that's the challenging part. When you get to manager, senior manager, VP level equivalents, SVP level equivalents, and then finally get to the C-suite where people are reporting directly to the CEO, by that time we've dropped off so low in representation that we really don't have a robust pipeline to pull from in terms of talent. Yeah. And one of the things that I really wanted to touch on is the research that McKinsey has done with leanin.org and the whole broken rung theory. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what that is? Absolutely. So the broken rung refers to that first promotion to manager from an entry-level employee where women make up about 48% across industries down to 38% of managers. And if you index that and have you know, men's first promotion, if 100 men are promoted to manager, only 72 women and 58 black women are promoted to manager. And it's that differential in the promotion rate that is this broken rung that we're describing. And it's such a broken rung that frankly, we can't make up for that lost ground in the rest of the pipeline. And that's why at the C-suite, at more senior levels, we're looking at decades of that compounded. In fact, if you add up that broken rung over five years, that differential between men's promotion rate to manager versus women generally, and then black women, that's equal over five years to 1 million missing women in leadership positions. And compounded over time, that results in the talent pipeline that we were just describing. Yeah, that is unbelievable, like that number. Kelly, I want to switch back to you and, and talk Talking a little bit about investments, you had noted that companies with more women leadership have greater innovation, increased productivity, higher employee satisfaction, and higher employee retention. And so why is that? How has that been measured? Yeah, um, we cite a ton of research and studies, some of which is done by um, McKinsey that we love to cite. Some is done by financial institutions like Morgan Stanley and and Credit Suisse. And what we are been able to kind of nail down and, and pinpoint is that when you have diverse leadership teams in place, specifically gender diverse leadership teams, a lot of the research looks at, um, you see better business results occur at those companies, both quantitative and qualitative results. And we, I would say, how, you know, how can you measure it exactly? Quaylin might be able to answer a little bit better than I can, but it's, it's concluding really similar results, which is that 
Um, not that women make better decisions than men. Um, it's that diverse teams, gender diverse teams, make fuller decisions where they have that greater long-term focus. You mentioned they have greater client focus. The results that occur are just incredibly meaningful and affect the bottom line of the organization. Mm-hmm. We also see improved um, profitability and performance, greater return on equity when you have these kind of teams in place. And most of the research, to, to be specific about what teams we're looking at, are focused on the board level positions and a diversity there, and also the senior management team, which includes the C-suite. So that identifies you know, companies that might just have the token woman on the board or something mm-hmm. like that, just checking that diversity you know, box might not be enough. We want to make sure when, when we're looking at a company, they have a diverse board, but they also, just as importantly, have a diverse management team, because that's how you get the full picture of the company, that there are a group of people, a smarter group of people making these decisions throughout the organization. So when we talk about checking that diversity city box. Mm-hmm. Um, it can't be one woman. What's the percentage of women that should should be in the mix to really be classified as a diverse culture? There's research that talks about 30% or roughly maybe three women um, on a team as being a tipping point mm-hmm. where you see even improved business results take place. I would say the, the companies that we look to invest in certainly have hit that 30%. Of course, we'd love to see 50%. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of companies out there that we would find that meet that criteria, but most of the research likes to see um, roughly around 30% mm-hmm. team gender diversity. Quillen, do you Do you agree? Absolutely. I think this notion of diverse teams where you can challenge each other's unspoken assumptions, where you're looking at a problem from different perspectives, that's the power of a diverse team that we're looking for, both from gender diversity, racial and ethnic diversity, but just getting different points of view so that from a problem-solving perspective, you're getting to a better answer. So what is the underlying problem here? Is it that women are, are more likely to sacrifice their career in order to raise a family, or is there a broader systemic problem here in terms of getting a pipeline of women into um, the workforce and up the corporate ladder? There's a broader systemic problem. So a lot of people, when we, we first looked at the data, thought, well, this is just women voting with their feet, right? Mm -hmm. They're going and they're taking care of their families. No, it turns out that women and men are staying in the workplace at the same rates. Women are just stagnating in role. Mm -hmm. So a woman is much more likely to have been in the role for seven years before getting promoted versus four years potentially for a man, as an example. Um, And women, when you ask women and men, do you plan to leave your company? They say yes at roughly the same rates. And when you ask why is that, is it to take care of family? Is it to leave for another company? They are looking to take care of family also at very similar rates. Mm So I think there's a lot of talk about potentially women leaving the workforce for family that is not borne out in the data. Are there other things going on in the organization? You talked about microaggressions um, in your presentation. What what were you referring to and, and how does this impact women at work? Absolutely. So microaggressions are small things every day, could be conscious, could be unconscious. But an example of a microaggression would be that my comment was attributed to somebody else or my idea was somebody else was given credit for. My expertise in my area of expertise was questioned or my judgment was questioned. I'm mistaken for somebody much younger than I am. Uh, Small things, but they add up over time in the course of uh, a workplace. And what we found as we looked at microaggressions was that men also experience microaggressions, but at a much lower rate. Women are sort of white women are next most likely to experience microaggressions all the way to, you know, Latina, Asian, uh, lesbian, and then black women most likely to both experience microaggressions frequently and multiple times right throughout throughout their career for sure. Mm-hmm. So Kelly, you know when we talk about 
changing a culture, it, that has to happen at the top. I mean, are there things that we can do as you know, women in entry level or middle management jobs that can sort of foster this uh, more inclusive culture? Is there something as an individual we can do? Definitely. I think that there's a role individuals play at the company to support um, a stronger culture that you know, supports diversity. Um, I also think you, know, you totally need buy-in, though, from the, the senior management team as well. So I think there's multiple prongs mm-hmm. to see successful uh, diversity take place. From an individual standpoint, you know, it is your responsibility to create an inclusive culture. Um, so whether that means you're a manager or you're more of a um, lower-level employee, you know, what you can do is, you know, have conversations, call things out when you see them take place. Some of these microaggressions that Quaylen mentioned start to bring it to people's attention because typically it's not, you know, evil people wanting to yeah. put anybody down and, and often they're not even noticing it. And so I think starting to call some of this attention to people's attention will create some changes on the, on the lower level. Start, you know, to look up to your manager, to their manager and, and see where the diversity falls on their priority list. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, you know, to see big changes at companies, you need the leadership team to have it listed pretty high mm-hmm. um, as something that they want to see change. And so having really good policies um, in place to support an inclusive culture is important, but then having um, the culture that actually has the buy-in and the employees that are fostering it uh, is critical as well. Quaylin, do you want to chime in on that? I would say the companies that have made the most progress focus on one or two things and execute them really well, right? Mm -hmm. They're not doing seven different initiatives and then seeing what happens a year or two later. And I think that focus and executional rigor starts with a very aspirational goal and cascading that accountability across lines of business, across functions, and having tough conversations around, you may have hit the numbers, but you didn't get there in the right way that we had Mm -hmm. talked about in terms of diversity. So how are we going to change that? I think it starts with that. And then I think picking one or two initiatives. Some companies pick sponsorship and go after that very aggressively. Uh, One company, for example, had their CEO sponsor five women at the C-suite level, asked those five women to sponsor five women each at the next level, and those 25 women to sponsor. And then they had a combination of formal and informal events to kind of create that opportunity for connectivity. Mm -hmm. Another common initiative that we often see companies choose is unconscious bias. And there's a really broad spectrum from two hours of unconscious bias training in a conference room to the other end of the spectrum of really working it into your people processes and in talent conversations and succession planning, having those tough conversations of, would we have had that same conversation if that weren't a woman coming back from maternity leave? And that's the element of unconscious bias training, really working it into the system that we find makes the difference. But choosing one or two things, whatever your pinch point are in that talent pipeline and then executing them really well. I just want to dive or dig a little bit deeper, Kelly, into what you do, because Mm -hmm. I think from an individual perspective, we can invest in ourselves, correct? Yes. Um, And the PAX Elevate Global Women's Leadership Fund is Mm -hmm. uh, a mutual fund of organizations that have a diversified culture, or can you explain what that is? Sure. Um, So yeah, the firm that I work at, we provide investment opportunities and and solutions for folks wanting to invest sustainably um, or invest for impact. And one of our products is the PAX Global Women's Leadership Fund. And in this fund, we're invested in the 400 highest rated companies in the world when it comes to having gender diverse leadership 
team. So kind of taking all of this research that we've been we've been talking about today um, and, and putting it into an actual investment concept. You know, we believe in this this research so wholeheartedly and with such conviction that companies with diverse leadership teams should perform better that we said, you know, why wouldn't we create an investment product that reflects that and tries to deliver, as we refer to the gender alpha that, that we believe can can happen. And so um, our fund is global. It's in the large cap space. So the companies we're kind of talking about are the Microsoft, um, you know, Lululemon, very large companies of the world. And we're identifying them for investment based on the diversity of their leadership team. Tell me um, what these companies that are successful, what, what this looks like, what they're doing. Sure. Examples. So, you know, one example I was speaking about earlier um, is PayPal. And PayPal made it into our investable universe because they have um, a diverse board of directors. They have a diverse uh, management team, but they're also doing other really good things well. And it's building that pipeline um, is one thing. So having really intentional hiring practices is something that they've put into place that's worked and delivered candidates. They also are focused on pay equity. I think having... A Obviously, pay equity will make your employees happy and satisfied and benefit the the company and the bottom line in the long run. So that's a focus that they are analyzing their compensation at least three times a year um, and also being pretty public about the results of, of that. So as Quaylen said, you know, I can tell that they're focusing on just probably a few initiatives at a time where they can include uh, women towards the top and then also uh, deliver meaningful results and then hopefully move on to um, start some new practices as well. Quillen, do you have examples of companies that you think are doing this well? I think there's a number of them that are moving the needle much faster than other companies in the industry. Sodexo, as an example, runs a lot of cafeterias in schools, hospitals, large companies, and they have been very forward in tying compensation to getting diverse leadership uh, within their lines of business. Uh, so their exact number is 42% or more diverse leaders, not just women, but diverse leaders of all backgrounds, because they have found that over time that correlates to higher profitability, higher growth, and higher resiliency in a downturn. Uh, I also love the example of Xerox that mandated diverse interview slates and had VP level openings and above open until they could have one woman and one woman of color on the slate. And we find when you shift from either zero or one woman on the interview slate to two or more, the hiring rate um, actually triples or quadruples. And, and that's really the unlock to get more diverse leaders into the organization, in addition to retaining and promoting more of your own mm -hmm. from within. Yeah. One of the issues that we have in this particular industry in manufacturing and packaging is there's not enough women that are going into this field. And even just from an engineering standpoint, there's not as many engineering students that are women as men graduating. So you talked, both of you talked about having a, um, a diversified talent pool when you're going to hire um, and not making that hiring until you have that diversified pool. But there's a problem in this industry in that a lot of times we're not, we're just not finding enough women to interview. I'm curious, um, I know that McKinsey has done, had a companion report about women and automation. Is there a technology play here or is there a STEM situation? Do we need to start maybe talking to young women earlier on about moving in the direction of STEM-based careers? Yeah, I think there's a lot of activity 
activity in this space. I would say other industries have actually launched industry coalitions to shift things across the industry. So you see this in the oil and gas space, where similarly, they were not attracting enough women at the entry level, right? Not a lot of women were signing up and saying, I want to go live on an oil rig, as an example. Mm. And so how do you shift that from an industry perception perspective? Similarly, tech has launched a whole host of efforts around both women in tech, uh, as well as women of color in tech in particular. And so I think there's some interesting things to explore at the industry level. Uh, And then to your point, at the company level, what do you do? I do think you have to get on campus um, recruiting in a much more creative way, but attracting women much more to the entry level roles, those first manager level roles. And then getting creative around what are the skills that you need and how do you potentially look at adjacent industries where they may have applied engineering skills in a related industry on a related problem, but might be interested in in jumping over. But figuring out what is your employee value proposition and how do you Mm -hmm. make that attractive enough to attract women and, and then retain them over time, I think is a real challenge, but can be addressed at an industry as well as an individual company level. And Stephanie, we have the same challenges in the financial services industry as well. And we talk about this a lot of how to attract, um, you know, the next generation of talent. And so um, I know our industry focuses a lot on going into colleges and universities and even into high schools to start to give um, students the lay of the land. What we heard might be similar in in your industry is that they didn't know what the career opportunities looked like Mm -hmm. unless you had, you know, a mom, a dad, an uncle, an aunt, whatever it was in the industry, in the financial services industry already that had given you a window into what that looked like. Most people and most young people didn't didn't know what a career looked like in financial services. And so that's where I've seen some progress be made in our industry. And then from a company level, I totally agree with Clay Lynn. For the, this generation that's coming out of school, where we want to focus to build that pipeline, you know, they want meaning and purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that the company's values really need to align with theirs. And there's some companies that do this very, very well that I would say, look around for some best practices. Actually, some of the tech companies have have really caught on to this already. And there are these super sexy, attractive, like yeah. unlimited vacation yeah. or whatever it is, you know, like the, the millennials are all, you know, into and, but, but it, it's, it's true. You know, even my company, we have, you know, paid volunteer days, like things like that, those little benefits like that, that I think um, really attract that, that next generation of talent and people um, in this generation want to feel good about where they work mm-hmm. and where they're spending a lot of their time. They do. And um, they want transparency as well. Mm-hmm. They want to, and uh, they want to know what's happening in the organization. The other thing, you know, there's a there's a, still a, a stigma about manufacturing, thinking it's like a dark, dirty, dangerous place to work, and it's mm-hmm. not. You walk into these plants, and it's very high tech and automated, mm-hmm. and people are walking around with their devices, their mobile devices. Um, it's, there's just a, it's a it's a new generation. Mm-hmm. I mean, do corporations? Quaylen have to think differently to attract a younger generation? Do they have to be more transparent about what they offer or about their technology expertise or what they're mm-hmm. what they're offering internally to make a work-life balance better for everybody? Yeah. I do think companies that are much more vocal about their benefits, about how their work is tied to purpose uh, and mission, I think have a leg up in this competitive talent market, right, with historically low unemployment rates. Uh, And you mentioned automation as well. I think the role of technology, exciting opportunities where you can shape the future within an industry, across industries can be quite exciting. We did some research over the summer on the impact of automation on women and men. And what we find is that across the board for both women and men, one in four people over the next 
10 years are going to need to change occupations completely from where they are today, get retrained and into a new occupation. That's because it does though affect genders quite differently. So in the United States, for example, women make up about 80% of healthcare jobs. In manufacturing, they make up less than 20% mm -hmm. of manufacturing jobs. And that's true globally, right? Work is very gendered around the world. And the impact of automation on manufacturing is much greater than it is on healthcare. But similarly, women make up quite a few, uh, a high, high percentage of retail jobs. And retail is also an industry, as an example, where automation is completely transforming the number of people you need, but also what the day-to-day -day work looks like. And so industry by industry, and with some industries being highly gendered, we see that impact taking place. And one in four women and men are going to need to change occupations. For some women, that's more challenging because they might not have the access to networks to even know about the opportunities. They may be having to take care of kids, so it makes it harder to both travel to and attend retraining programs. Mm -hmm. That transition challenge may be a little bit harder for women on average, but it's going to be challenging for everyone and it's going to affect one in four women. So what does the future hold in terms of um, McKinsey, you've been doing these reports for Five years now? With well, 15 years, yeah. Oh, 15 years. Yeah, yeah. With, with well, women in the workplace about five years. Yes. Okay, women in the workplace. Yes, that's what I was referring Yeah. Are you going to continue to track this and see how things are changing? Is Absolutely. I think this has been a key part of our research focus for over 15 years uh, globally, in the United States, in the workplace, as we were discussing, and it will continue to be a core focus of ours. We think it's so important to bring the facts and the data to the story mm -hmm. so that industries and companies can focus on where their biggest opportunities are. Mm -hmm. And Kelly? We'll continue to use their research <laughs> <laughs> to, you know, fund and, and um, support our investment thesis, you know, and to inform our, our managers and identify really good opportunities of companies that get it and that value diversity specifically, you know, in, in leadership and, and help us deliver solutions to our clients, which are investors mm -hmm. who probably now more than ever are really interested in aligning their investment portfolios with their values, trying to create some kind of impact on the world and, and all parts of their life and, and one way being with their investments. Mm -hmm. So key takeaways from today, if you wanted to leave our listeners with some key takeaways from um, your research, Waylon, what would they be? I would say focus uh, on attraction if representation at all levels is a challenge in your industry and at your company, and then really address that broken first rung so that hopefully you have enough women at that manager level to populate the rest of the funnel and ultimately get to those most senior levels to change the company culture and get some of those benefits of diversity. Kelly, key takeaways? Um, from an investing standpoint, I would say, you know, talk to your financial advisor if you're working with one and see, you know, if there's some changes that you might want to make in your portfolio, see where you're invested. All, you know, all investments are making an impact and you want to make sure yours is intentional um, and reflecting the legacy that you're working so hard, you know, to live and to leave. So I would definitely recommend looking at your investments if you haven't done so already um, for an area for solutions. Well, we're going to have to wrap up this segment of Unpacked. This is an important topic, and I'm glad we were able to have this conversation. If our listeners want to continue to explore this topic, please visit the McKinsey website for the latest on the future of women in the workplace study. And if you'd like to explore how to invest in gender equality, visit PaxElevate.com and the Pax Elevate Global Women's Leadership Fund. Quaylin and Kelly, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thanks, Stephanie. Please rate, review, and subscribe. To do that, 
Go to the iTunes podcast or Spotify app on your phone and search for Unpacked with PMMI.